you must suffer. <laughs> the, the, the path to better health is pain. Right. For the <laughs> Suffering is not optional. Yeah. No, it's just like, why? Right. Mm-hmm. Why? It's wrong on so many levels. But this is how we're conditioned to believe this is what we're conditioned to think. Or when we do the things that we fundamentally enjoy, why is it that we feel bad about them? Right. And like, to me, like life isn't always going to be easy, but it doesn't mean that the things that you enjoy and the things that make you feel good should no longer be tolerated or that you should leave them guilt and shame because that is the problem. That is the problem. The whole idea is that like we do these things that are actually good for us, even if they might not always be healthy and we catastrophize and we think that we have done something wrong. So we then punish ourselves or we starve ourselves or we restrict ourselves or we just figure that we're going to blow it anyway. So why even try? Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no bullshit health and fitness podcast. Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place. Let's Let's go. If you'd like to support us in the podcast, join our Patreon where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to over 100-plus low-calorie, high-protein, family-friendly meals. These are all designed by a professional chef who is certified in nutrition. These recipes are already in my fitness pal for easy fucking tracking. New recipes are also added each week. We believe that fitness is for everyone, so this is our way of getting you started on your health and fitness journey at a price most everyone can afford. So what the fuck are you waiting for? We'll see you in the Patreon. Let's welcome Adam Bornstein, New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning writer and editor, and nutritional advisor for celebs, entrepreneurs, athletes, and new book that just came out, You Cannot Screw This Up, or You Can't Screw This Up, I should say. And let me just say... Everyone needs to buy this book. I am hooked. Every coach, every client, I've already given it to clients of mine. It's really like the emotional eating, stress eating, never diet again book. So it's mind blowing and very easy to read. Like it's, it hooks you in. I love it. Thank you. So there's my intro. (laughs) Cut, cut, we're done. It was great, great talking to you guys. I mean... (laughs) You have rendered me useless. That is all too kind. That was, that's why you write it. You know, it's one of those funny things. You write books and you hope that people will read it. And more importantly, you hope that people will enjoy it. And most importantly, you hope that it will make an impact, right? The idea of like leaving people a little bit better than you found them is, it's cliche, but it's so important. And when you're trying to write a book and give it to people that you might never meet, it's the hope, right? And you you try and put your heart into it, but you never truly know until people read it. So, so thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. beyond thrilled to hear it. You can tell you put your heart into it. And I know it took you how many years to write this book actually? Nine. Yeah. Nine. Wow. It's a hard, I knew what I wanted to write nine years ago. I didn't know how to write it. And in the process of figuring out how to write it, I realized how much deeper the problem went and that the things that I thought we needed to do in order to solve the problems were probably just going to contribute to the problem even more right? The typical nutrition approach of like, oh, we can like teach people macros or we can go ahead and like give them simpler systems or we can help them build habits. And it's like, well, what's really standing in the way? Why do people struggle? Is it truly an an education gap? Do we 
do we even need to know how to do macros? Not that it can't help people. You know, what are the things that stand in people's way? Because there are a lot of diet books out there. There are a lot of YouTube videos out there. There are a lot of podcasts out there. There is no shortage of information. A lot of it, which is just absolute crap, right? You know, I want to cut the crap. There's, there's a lot to cut. <laughs> yeah. But there's good, there's good stuff out there too, right? So why, despite this good stuff, is it so hard for people to become healthier? Not for people to see results, right? It's a big thing. It's not that people never see results. Some don't. But a lot of people will see some traction, have some progress, and then it just stops, right? They get this like taste of the life they want or the life they think they want, and then it's pulled away from them and some cruel trick, and then things get worse and worse and worse. And it was like, you know, the the exploration for me is that the wellness industry, far too much of it, is this very manipulative cycle that, mm-hmm. you know, the the poison is actually in the pill. These things that they're trying to give you to make you feel better are actually designed to make you feel worse about yourself. So A, how do you recognize those things, right? B, what do you do about them? And C, as I say, like, how do you play a completely different game entirely, right? If the idea is that like you're playing this game that's a little bit rigged, it doesn't mean you can't win. It doesn't mean you can't be healthy. It doesn't mean you can't be happy. It just means that like each time you think you're entering into something new, doing something different, what happens if you're actually just replaying the same script over and over again? And that is why you consistently find yourself in these really bad places. And, you know, after 20 years of dealing with people being in a bad place, it hits you, right? It sucks when like people truly feel that their body is broken. It's not, but they feel that way when they truly feel that they can't live their life, they truly feel that they can't be healthy unless they sacrifice everything. Like you have to suffer, right? You must suffer. (laughs) The the, the path to better health is pain. Suffering is not optional. Yeah. No, it's just like, why? Right. Mm -hmm. Why? It's wrong on so many levels, but this is how we're conditioned to believe this is what we're conditioned to think. Or when we do the things that we fundamentally enjoy, why is it that we feel bad about them, right? And like, to me, like life isn't always going to be easy, but it doesn't mean that the things that you enjoy and the things that make you feel good should no longer be tolerated or that you should live in guilt and shame because that is the problem. That is the problem. The whole idea is that like, we do these things that are actually good for us, even if they might not always be healthy and we catastrophize and we think that we have done something wrong So we then punish ourselves or we starve ourselves or we restrict ourselves or we just figure that we're going to blow it anyway. So why even try? And and this is like the crux of the book. This is what we argue that we need to step away from because the reality is when we do these things, one, good, good. Do the things that make your life a little bit better. And B, stop acting like your body is this frail damaged, vulnerable thing that can't handle a little cake, a little sugar, a few days off from the gym because can our bodies are strong and resilient and amazing. And we need to realize that we're not dependent on so many of these quick fix, extreme approaches that truly just leave us worse off than they found us. Yeah. The restrict binge, the guilt, the shame, all in the name of, you know, like food, food is meant to be enjoyed right? We're not supposed to be, you know, food is also tradition, family. There's so much that goes into food and so many people have such guilt 
when just eating certain kinds of foods. And it's really, it really is sad. I think people have get when they just eat in general, <laughs> period. Yeah. Period. Right. There was one study I was talking about that people stress and they're between like seven to 10 times every time they go to eat. So if the average person is eating three times per day, maybe more, you're talking about adding maybe up to 30 stressors per day. I mean, we got enough stressors in our life. The last thing we need to do, right? You're stressing about what you're eating and then what you're going to eat next. And if you need to exercise after this was okay, did I have too much? And then you start stressing about the next meal and it'd be like, man, and that's just in a day. Yeah. That's just in one day. And it's like, my goodness, how did we get to this point where something is so foundational, something so basic? How did we get to this point? My my take is that the wellness industry by and large became much more about industry and mm-hmm. less about wellness. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean there's not good people out there. It doesn't mean there's not great options. There's so many people who are living healthier and happier, but so many people are buying in to this concept that you need to buy in to be healthier. You need to buy your way to health. It's a game of the haves versus the have nots. And if you are a have not, well, you're just fucked. Right. And that's, that's learned helplessness. But by feeling that, by feeling like there is no hope, you still want to be healthy. Right. So you are willing to do more extreme things. Right. There's, I talk about this a little bit in the book that it's, there's this staggering stat that, you know, it's easy to look at the number of people who are overweight or obese. And you can, like, there's no hard number because it's all BMI based. But like in the US alone, right. You're looking at 75% of the country is overweight or obese. It's a staggering number, even if it's like, not accurate, but we're close enough, a staggering number. But then you look back in like the 50s and 60s, where like a fraction of the number of people were overweight or obese, right? And not one single thing caused us to get here. But then you start looking at how many people used to diet. In the 50s or 60s, you had like roughly, I believe it was like 6% of men and 12 to 14% of women were dieting, you know, 50s and 60s. And today, you have like 45% of men and 60% of women go on multiple diets per year. And like you see this direct correlation of the more people are dieting, the more people are becoming overweight or obese. And you say, well, that makes sense. There are more people gaining weight, but it, no, 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 no. You then have to look at the trend. We got to this level, the 40 to 60% in the 80s. So people started dieting aggressively when the obesity rates were a fraction of what they were today. So the diet industry really started taking hold in the 80s in a much bigger way as you started seeing food and media become more immersed in diet culture, right? Whether it was the, it was no one single thing, but right, there was the no fat movement, which everyone will talk about. And then there was the no carb movement. And then there's like the no dairy and the no gluten and the make sure you eat breakfast, then never eat breakfast again. And it's like, you see the polar opposites emerging everywhere, but like you had this like 40, 50% of people dieting in the eighties where obesity rates were still down on like the 20%. And now the more people start dieting, the more people start going into these extremes, the more that ultra processed foods have taken over. And again, that's even a sticky one because some people can only afford ultra processed foods. So it's like, it's not demonizing these things because as I talk about, like we actually have to enable people to eat these things, but navigate them. But it's also confusing because we can talk, not all processing is fat bad, right? But we like demonize it all. Like mm-hmm. olive oil is a processed food. A can of beans is a processed food. It's the ultra processed foods that can't be more difficult, but it's just... It's not easy, but if you look at people who diet compared to people who don't, and there was a great study in UCLA, the people who don't diet tend to gain less weight overall than the people who do diet. That's interesting. The average average person gains about one to three pounds per year. 
the average dieter can gain up to twice as much. And it's not that the diet doesn't work. During the first three to six months that they're on the diet, they actually lose a good amount of weight. And people will see this, right? You, you cut out foods, you go on a diet, you lose weight, you feel great. Then things stop working. And then you start grinding your gears harder. You cut more calories, you exercise more, you stress more, you catastrophize more. And then you eventually quit the plan and gain back a lot of weight and then some. And it's the and then some that is such a problem that if you never would have gone into this like extreme mode, sure, you might be gaining one to three pounds per weight, but you're not necessarily gaining like five to eight pounds per year because the off cycle is so much more aggressive. Um, and it's just like we are, we are breaking people's minds and it is causing them to have frustrations with their body. And that's the vicious cycle that, you know, I really dedicating my life to just figuring a way to end like make people feel better about themselves to change their self-perception to change the way they feel about what they need to eat how they have to react so that they just don't have to play this like this yo-yo game which is really a roller coaster ride that is not fun i like roller coasters this is not this, this is not the roller coaster i want to ride it's a very scary <laughs> roller coaster it is, it is terrible yeah oh yeah gosh i don't even know where to start I was just going to think of, you know, the question that I get so often is, I don't even know what to eat. Beth, can you tell me what to eat? Like everyone, because, you know, every diet is like, don't eat this, don't eat that, that people really just, they're confused. Um, So A, I would recommend getting this book first. And then B, how would you help people, Adam, into, you know, really like, where do you start when you don't? want to diet anymore, but you want to create a lifestyle that you can stick to. Let me give you two answers. One that people are going to be like, oh, finally, you're telling me what to eat. And right. it probably surprise you. But the first one is when they say like, we usually start in different places. It's like, don't clean out the pantry, like remove this food. And what I argue in the book is like, there's a reason why so often this doesn't work because, you know, our actions are a byproduct of our mindset and our mindset is shaped by our self-perception. And many people walk around thinking that they are not healthy. I am like seven. I am not a healthy person. I am out of shape. They might even use terrible language. Like I am fat, right? They might like shame themselves into a way and everyone's got a different level of comfort, but whatever it is, the internal monologue that people have is not kind, right? If someone was saying it about a friend, they'd be like, no, don't talk about my friend that way. Right. And what people need to do first and foremost, before they're like, what do I eat? Is they have to change their self-perception. They have to change their self-perception. And this sounds much harder than it is because a lot of people think that self-perception is a byproduct of a finished product, right? How can I say that I'm a healthy person when I don't feel comfortable in my skin? How can I say that I'm healthy if I feel like I need to lose weight? How can I say that I'm healthy if I have all of these bad habits? And it's no different than, you know, the analogy I use in the book is, you know, when you start a new job, you're probably the worst you're ever going to be at that job, right? It doesn't mean that you're a bad worker. It means that you haven't figured out the things that you need to do to exceed and succeed in that position. And health is no different. If you've ever picked up a diet book or even bought one of those worthless waste of money cleanses, it's actually a sign that you are a healthy person because you care about your health. You are investing your time and your money and your suffering in trying to improve a part about you. And if you can't do that, it's not because you're not a healthy person. It's because you haven't figured out what it is that works for you. So you need to change that self-perception. You need to remove that negativity in a way that you are thinking you are an unhealthy person because when you struggle and you will struggle at some point, 
that voice is going to tell you to just stop trying. That voice is going to tell you that you're not good enough. That voice is going to tell you that you can't succeed. And the foundation of healthier change is self-perception. So I argue that people must, and I give some tips on ways to like change their self-perception, how they speak to themselves, how they approach things. Creating a stronger self-perception of who you are is not a reflection of where you are, right? But it will allow you to get to where you want to be by just believing that this capacity to be healthier lives within you. And that alone makes you a healthier person. And that means when things get difficult, you are less likely to really sabotage yourself. Self-sabotage is a real thing because, you know, our mind and our actions have to be aligned. And if your actions are all pushing towards healthier, but your mind is like, this is never going to work. It's never going to work. Right. So that's the the first part. Like self-perception has to change on some level to enable you to have a higher likelihood of success. And James Clear talks about this references work. We're like, we wait for the motivation to come and we think like, I'm going to get motivated. I'm going to take action and work out and eat healthier. And then I am going to love who I am. And in reality, we change our perception first. I'm a healthy person. I just haven't figured it out yet. I'm a healthy. I I care. I am trying. I just have not figured out what works for me. So I got this. I got this, but I'm going to have to stick with it because it's not going to be easy. You change your self-perception. Then you take action to back that up. What's the little thing that you did, right? I tried to work out today. I tried to walk today. I read a book today, right? I had one less soda today. I still had three, but yesterday I had four. I'm making progress in the right direction. Oh, and then you have to celebrate that success. I did it, right? You have to recognize the successes and then that leads to more motivation, right? So it's really self-perception, then action, then motivation, stronger self-perception, more actions, more motivation. So it starts there. Then when it comes to the food thing, I start where the opposite or people tell you, right? It's like, what do I eat? And when I work with clients, I first say, well, what do you love? What do you love? What if I took this away? You would be like a kicking and screaming two-year-old and be like, oh, I hate this. And I'm like, cool. This is the thing you love. We're going to make sure you eat this. And they're like, hey, I'm blown. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, you didn't hear me. I want to lose weight. Yes. <laughs> yes, I heard you. I heard you. And we're going to keep that. Why? Because we need a stable foundation. We need you to be comfortable enough to know that like, I am not removing everything so that you know that like, you're still going to enjoy part of this because there are parts that it's not that you're not going to enjoy, but it's going to be difficult. And I talk about this in the book, it's the idea of the comfort zone. And a lot of people think that if you want to change, you have to abandon all comfort. That is not true. It actually flies in the face of science. There's Yerkes Dodson curve, which is a beautiful inverted U, right? So just imagine inverted U, the x-axis is going to be the amount of stress and anxiety in you. And the y-axis is going to be your performance, how well you can do something. And on one end where you see really, really low performance, right? It's where there's no stress or anxiety. You're not being challenged at all. No one's saying you got to change every anything. It's like, lay on the couch. You're fine the way that you are, even though you don't feel fine. You want to become better, but there's nothing that's asking you to change. And on the other end is where there's so much stress and anxiety. You can't any food, eat foods that you love. You have to eat at this exact time every day. You have to work out six times per week. You need to throw out everything you enjoy. And there's so much that there's no way your performance can be good. The idea is kind of like Goldilocks where you want to have like just right. And just right means having some of the new, some of the different, like if eating a vegetable is difficult, like how do we get you to eat one vegetable a day? I don't care if you're throwing it into a smoothie. I don't care if you're sneaking it into a sandwich. I don't care if you're cooking it into a stew or soup. Like there are ways to sneak these things in to get that first mover advantage, to get an easy win, right? 
But then like you still have the things that make you comfortable where it's like in case of emergency, break glass, right? In case of emergency, eat the cake, because guess what? It's part of the plan because no plan requires complete perfection. I tell people, I need you to shift your mindset from in order to be healthy, I need to be perfect. I need to be a hundred percent to in order to be healthy, you just need to never be zero percent, never be zero percent. And that means there's plenty of room to like eat stuff that isn't healthy. And that just knowing that that exists makes a huge difference. And I talk about a a study that was in the journal obesity, where people were told for one day, one day only here are these, all these foods that you love. I want you to eat none of them. These are adults, not children, by the way. What do you think they did? They ate 133% more calories because we are creatures where we want what we're told we can't have. But if we just know the option to have it is there, the desire to go after it becomes even less. And when we know it's okay to have, and we know that we can enjoy it, and we should enjoy it, the cravings decrease. Because what happened, cravings is a, a very complicated science where part of it is like, it's what we want to eat. Part of it is what we think we can't have. And part of it is the fact that like, we don't sit in and enjoy it. A lot of people will eat that dessert that they want, but the whole time they're just mired in guilt and shame. So they're not being present with it, right? This is the idea of mindfulness comes in. So they walk away having what should have been a decadent treat and left them fulfilled. And they still want more of it. And it's not that they truly want more of it. It's that they didn't allow themselves to enjoy it. And if we allow ourselves to enjoy things more, actually come to crave them less because we find what best serves us. And sometimes what best serves us will be having those treats. And sometimes what best serves us won't be that because we realize that we were just doing it because we were told we couldn't have it and we used it as a crutch. So when people ask me, what do I eat? I start with the one or two foods that they love and I find a place for it. And then I find the one or two things that are really difficult for people. It's usually vegetables or it's usually sneaking in protein into a meal. Typically breakfast is a difficult one. Dinner is usually the easiest in terms of like sneaking and protein, but dinner becomes, dinner rolls into like after dinner TV time where people just mindlessly snack. And I try and find like, what is meal that is easiest for us to make easier that you struggle with most? And then we try and come up with, we find a a common ground of what people enjoy and then make it healthier. Because I don't believe that there's any specific food that people need to eat. I don't believe there's any specific diet. You'll see in the the book, diet agnostic. You could be vegan and follow this and you could be carnivore and follow this. Um, It's not for me to tell you because people fall into different dietary preferences based on a wide variety of criteria that I'm in no place to judge. All I want to do is help people make healthier habits and to identify the things that stand in their way. And for most people, one of three, two of three, or three of three things stand in the way. It is the cost, it is the convenience, and it is the complexity. Too many healthy plans cost too much money. They are super complex, so it's really hard to execute. Or they are inconvenient. They tell you you can't eat the things that are like very quick to eat, and which is just ridiculous. I know almost everything I need to know. I don't know everything about nutrition. I know everything I need to know, but I'm the cook in my house. And there are going to be days where I'm going to be exhausted and stressed. And I want to make something. I want to order takeout. I want to make something in five minutes even. And there are ways to do this. So I think by starting with the foods that you can enjoy and then moving to the meal that is most difficult and then finding a way to make it healthier, which is usually adding protein or fiber, like I said, a vegetable, and then just starting there. And that's it, right? Knowing you got the good, focus on this one change. Can we make this one change for one day? What about for two days? Can we do this 70 to 80% of the time? Just that one thing. Just that one thing. Great. Now we've mastered that. Now it's like brushing your teeth. Now it's a little bit more automatic. How do we move to the next thing? How's your sleep? 
How's your stress? Like, how are these other things that might be working behind the scenes to actually make you hungrier? Like, people don't realize that one or two bad nights of sleep actually changes the chemicals in your brain to make you crave more of the foods that you know you should be eating fewer of, right? The sugary, salty, fat combination, the bliss point foods. And how much do you know that when you are sleep deprived, the hormones that help control your hunger are actually manipulated in a way that you are less likely to be sated. Even if you're eating the right things, you're more likely to remain hungry and keep on wanting to go for food. And these are all these trap doors that we talk about. But I think the step-by-step process, the idea of go slow to go fast, we all want the quick wins, but like the quick wins are actually the small habits that become very, very easy. And then you realize that the number of things that you actually have to change are much fewer than you thought. And that is the best part. When people see that this small change makes a big difference and they build confidence and they can see that this is doable and it is sustainable. Man, I can't tell you. It's like the lights go on. It's such a weight lifted. And like people are surprised by how much better off because if weight loss is your goal, And some people just want to be healthier. What I tell people is like, my goal, if your job, what you want to accomplish is weight loss, is to teach you how to eat as much as possible and still lose weight. We all know that a complete night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our wellness and general well-being. And after all, we regularly talk about the importance of sleep on Cut the Crap. Now, Cured's Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to guaranteeing that you get that full night of sleep every single time. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and full-spectrum cannabinoids. The CBN extract is a lesser-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant, and these supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, REM sleep and non-REM deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole body effect. And when it starts to kick in, you'll notice every inch of your body soften into a deeper state of relaxation as if you're laying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. And once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM deep sleep into REM and back again. Now, some people can't fall asleep, others can't stay asleep, and then there are those that fall asleep and stay asleep, but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage, and this is definitely me. No matter what is keeping you from true rest and restoration, the sleep bundle is your solution. Think of it as a one-two punch for a body and brain reset. I've personally never been one to struggle with falling and staying asleep, but like I said, I have definitely struggled with getting quality sleep. I don't know what the heck I'm doing in my sleep, but it certainly wasn't quality. And ever since I started incorporating the Cured Sleep Bundle into my bedtime routine, I wake up feeling refreshed and energetic instead of groggy and lethargic. In return, this allows me to tackle my busy life in a cool, calm, and collected way, ready to take on any challenge that presents itself. And right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, our listeners. You can grab Zen and CBN in the Sleep Bundle for an extra 20% off of Cured's already discounted price by visiting curednutrition.com CTC and using the coupon code CTC at checkout. With this extra discount, you're getting 36% off the regular price. Yep, that's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash CTC and coupon code CTC at checkout to save an extra 20%. Improve your sleep, improve your life. That is the goal. I want you to see how you can eat as much as possible and still be Mm -hmm. losing and then 
when it stops. And when it truly stops for a long period and not a single day or two, right, for weeks, then what's the smallest change that we can make that keeps it going in the right direction? Because most people don't realize they back themselves into a corner. They cut out everything. They cut out all carbs. They cut out all sugar. They're down to barely nothing. They're eating a thousand calories a day and they lose a lot of weight at first and the weight loss stops and it stops. And they come to me and like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you kind of backed yourself in a corner because what are you going to cut next? You're already eating next to nothing, Mm -hmm. right? You should always have levers to push and people try to, they unnecessarily cut out so many things that they could have kept in the first place. Totally. And that's a diet culture, right? Because when, when, you know, that's where so many diets, most diets go wrong is they try to change everything about a person right away, rather than taking this small, slow approach, which has been proven time and time again to be effective. Right. I mean, it's just like the small wins can add up to big results. And these are like behavioral change, right? I talk about the book, like the a fundamental principle of behavioral change is like, make it so easy that it's hard to fail. But when we think about goals, we think about these big, hairy, audacious goals, which is fine, have a vision, but realize that the process of behavioral change is about making change easy. Because when you make change easy, then you can actually make the changes. When you make the changes, you can build the habit. When you build the habit, you can have a more stable foundation. When you have a more stable foundation, it's easier to take on more complex behaviors. And I argue that most people start with overly complex and unnecessarily complex behaviors. And if we would take this out of diet, right, if we would take this out, it would be easy to see. And that's why I think that like the wellness culture is just so messed up because we're so manipulated that we can't even see things that are clearly designed to fail, right? Two examples given the book, like if I were to teach you math and I was like, you never learned math before, you got no like basic math skills. Cool. Let's start with arithmetic. Let's start with calculus and geometry. Let's go. (laughs) You don't know how to add or subtract. Let's do it. How likely are you to succeed? You're going to be like, what is, I don't even know what a number is. What's a three, but that's what we do with nutrition. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. don't understand the fundamental things. We're like, yeah, so let's calculate your macros and let's make sure that we eat like every, every 2.5 hours and make sure that you got your 16, eight fast down and your inflammation is actually really high. And let's talk about your imbalanced hormones. That's generic throw out of, of, of hormones. And like, and you're like, wait a second. What's a macronutrient? What's a, what's, what's a macronutrient, right? And it's the same thing if you look at sports. You're like, I'm going to teach someone how to swim. Great. What's the best way to teach them how to swim? Should we be throwing people in the deep end with a bunch of sharks? No, but that's what we do with diet. We have them do these super extreme, complicated, expensive plans. We're like, you should just be in the shallow end learning how to tread water so you could be comfortable enough. And then when you do that, each step feels a lot easier. And you could even take a page out of gym culture. Another example I give in the book is that like someone who's never worked out before, if they walk into a gym for the first time, you have two options. You could put them on body weight programming, you do a quick assessment. They could be doing three sets of 10 reps on squats. And like the next day, and then especially the next, next day, the body's going to be hurting because those muscles haven't been worked like that. Or you can bring them in, put 300 pounds on the bar and say, squat this bar. And they're probably going to like, hurt the exact same amount they would have if they would have on body weight program. The difference is with the body weight program is they're more likely to show up a couple of days later and try it again because it didn't destroy them. Whereas when you load that 300 pounds, you're going to kill that person. You're going to make that them fear the program. You're making them think that they can't succeed. You're going to crush their confidence. And when you do that repeatedly, they're just going to think that they don't have a chance to be healthy as opposed to if they did the body weight, right? And then they 
added a little bit of weight and then they add a little bit more weight and they started training instead of once or twice a week, three to four times per week. And they progressed and they become stronger, more confident. And then one day they're loading up just the bar and they're able to put that first plate on. And like what happens is like things become easier when we're in a position to make them easier. It doesn't all have to feel impossible, but we forget this journey. So many diet books, like people who have figured out what works for them, they just want people to replicate that process and they ignore where they started. Like we, we have this fallacy of like, oh, this is what works for me. So this is what everyone should do. No, we all have to follow that journey where we build up that stable base so we can succeed. And those are small repeatable behaviors that are they're doable and possible. And it is having more flexibility and it is eating foods that you enjoy. And it is not being so rigorous and rigid so that you can find your way. And, and that is when people truly become healthy. It really is, but we just have to stop telling people that the, the path is so complicated and rugged. There's going to be some discomfort, but it's not going to be miserable. Discomfort isn't misery for sure. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, you promote aspartame. I was talking about myself, like, you know, that's not healthy. This isn't healthy. You're not teaching health. It's like health is more than the food we ingest. And we can be healthy drinking a diet soda. We can be healthy having pizza. But a lot of people have this, you know, narrative that there's no way you can be healthy eating any of that stuff. It's interesting because I always wonder why, right? And that, and then that's a part of diet culture because like we just, we come to associate ourselves so strongly with what we eat. Like it's a representation of us, like some scarlet letter. And it's, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like eating pizza doesn't make someone a bad person any more than it does having artificial sweeteners, right? Like I can look at all the literature in the world. And if I thought something was dangerous, like my job is to give people tips and advice that make it more likely that they are healthier with the least likelihood that they are doing something dangerous or harmful to themselves. That's it. There is very little research suggesting that aspartame or artificial sweeteners are dangerous for you. Now, if you don't like the way you feel when you have them, don't drink them. I am someone who tells people to drink artificial sweeteners. I don't have them personally. My GI system don't love it. Mm, not, not a good fit for me. But I know a hundred other people who can chug that stuff and they're super freaking healthy. It doesn't have any impact. And it's just like, why is it that the things that work for me must work for everyone else? Why? I don't have an answer on the fact that like we come to associate again, those dietary behaviors, almost like religion as some sort of representation of who we are. And the representation of who we are should be about like what we are all trying to do, which is be healthier and how we are all trying to act, which is be kind and hopefully good to other people. And everything else is just details. That's like being mad at someone because like they work in a certain industry. Like that's what they like and enjoy. And that makes them happy. Cares if you, if you bond over food and that's a social experience, being social is one of the healthiest things in the world, right? Like my aha moment happened, man, 14 years ago, where like, I used to be one of those guys who was just, you know, so obsessed with everything. And I went on a date with this girl and, you know, she wanted to drink and have dessert. And I was fitness editor at Men's Health at the time. And I like felt like I had to have this persona where everything just had to be like so locked and dialed. And I'm, I am a representation of health. And it truly was like an out-of-body experience where like she wants to have dessert with me. And I was totally like into this, this girl on this date. And I'm like, how many times in my life have I missed out on life because I was 
trying to be so healthy. You know, I had dessert that night and I enjoyed and date ended up being my wife. And I, I ended up like realizing that, you know, the healthy behaviors that we take on shouldn't just be good for our body. It should be good for our mind. It should be good for our lifestyle. It should be good for the life that we're trying to build. And if you're following a diet that takes away so many of those experiences and takes away those good feelings, I would argue like that's the least healthy thing that you can do. It's the least healthy thing to live in a prison of your own making. That's what I try to identify that like a lot of people want so many of these different benefits of health, but they don't ask themselves, are there other ways that I could achieve that same benefit, but without that level of suffering? And a perfect example is like, Cold tubs, cold plunges. They're having a moment right now. Everyone's got a cold plunge. No yep. offense if either of you got it. No. I don't. <laughs> no. I don't got one. Mainly because <laughs> I have trouble rationalizing $10,000 on like putting ice into a bucket. It's weird for me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people, I'm not going to say that a cold plunge has no benefits. It can have some benefits. I think many of them are overstated, but I'm not going to deny literature of like, there are some things with recovery. They're not muscle growth, but recovery. There are Mm -hmm. some dopamine, right? Like people will get a high. They will feel good. I get that. So if you want to do that, makes you feel good. Or if you want to do something hard, so you feel you overcome a a challenge, great. But what other hard things could you do that would give you that same level of accomplishment without having to like sit in the cold? There are lots of things. What about dopamine? Do you realize that you can go out and listen to your favorite song and the level of like dopamine can be similar to sitting in a cold plunge? Do you know going for a walk outside can give you the same rush of dopamine? Do you know that interacting with your friends can give you the same rush of dopamine? And health becomes this thing where we try and make things like diametrically opposed, right? Like vegan is the only way, carnivore is the only way, right? They get in these dietary camps where it must be one extreme. And health becomes this thing where we find a mechanism that is supposed to do something good for you and we make it seem like this is the only way to do it. The only way you can get dopamine is by sitting in cold. The only way you can stir up autophagy and give yourself younger cells is by fasting. Autophagy is sparked arguably more by exercise than by fasting, arguably more by sleep than by fasting, which you're fasting in any way. But we make it seem like this is the only switch because we have to have something to sell to people. And the walk in the park isn't a sell, it's for free. And I would just rather democratize access and make people aware of all the different things that they can do that are good for them. And then let them pick and realize when they don't do these things, it doesn't mean you screw up. It doesn't mean that you are doomed. It just means that your version of health takes on a little bit of a different look as it should because you're different than everyone else. Like everyone's health journey is going to be a little bit different. And there's so many different puzzle pieces that people can put together to create their version of health. Then we need to get out of this like black and white vision of like, this is what health must look like. Because that is the problem. That is where people get confused. If someone is telling you that this is the only way you could be healthy, Or if someone is using fear to convince you to do something in general, run. Huge red Mm -hmm. flags. Yeah. Huge red flags. They're not looking out for you. They're they're about to sell you something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get out that credit card. There's a good test for that too. When when uh, somebody makes an outlandish claim like that, or is you know making you fear food, just go to their bio, click the little link in their bio. Like, what's the first thing they're selling? It's probably like their supplement with their coupon code or their you know whatever cure coaching program they have. Right. So I'm still in my book right now. It's 20 years of knowledge for $20. (laughs) 
But uh, <laughs> that's that's my baby. There's no upsells. There's nothing you're gonna see in there. There's no affiliate codes. Nothing like that. I yeah no, but it's it's true, right? And it and is a beautiful litmus test for how do you want to approach it? And, and right, are people trying to use fear? Are they telling you that in order to be healthier, you need to buy all of these things, right? No, it's like why like the, the approach in the book is like the front half is all about like, listen, this is going to be about mindsets. It's going to be about habits. It's about feeling better about yourself and learning how the industry tries to make you feel worse about yourself and how I want you to walk away from all of that. That's the required reading for the book, right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't even want you to do meal plans. I'll give you a meal plan because I realize that sometimes people need training wheels. I got little kids. Like I'd love to just push them down a hill with a bike, but man, I really don't want them to crash and burn in the same way that like a 300 pound squat crush someone. So I give you a meal plan, but I don't want you to look at this meal plan and say, like, this is what I have to do because that's the problem with meal plans. Fundamentally is that like, you think that this is my universe. And the moment you step out of that, like you fall apart and like, no, substitute whatever you want. They don't teach you how to live. Option. Right. I, I want to give you something where it's like, I got to, right. I'll give you some fish for you, but I want to teach you how to fish. It's even why, you know, I did a, a test group with 500 people to do the program in the book. And the prerequisite was like, you have to eat takeout two to three times per week. Sign me up, right? Yeah. yeah. You have you have to, because that's real life. Yeah. And I think creating plans that are not designed for real life set people up to fail because the moment they're in that real life situation, it's a freak out moment. And like, we need more plans that are designed for real life, that are designed for eating and enjoying takeout, sometimes having ultra processed foods, understanding that life happens. And that doesn't mean you can't be healthy. Right. I think that's where a lot of people forget that, you know, there's always going to be something there is, oh, there's gonna be an anniversary. There's gonna be deaths. There's gonna be birthdays. There's gonna be holidays. We have to learn how to live through all that, live through life and manage it, you know, in a way normally without having to restrict and binge and restrict and binge because, oh, there's the holiday, let's eat everything. And then, oh my God, I gained 20 pounds during Christmas and let's start the whole cycle all over again. It's just so important to learn to build a life you can stick to for all occasions. And it shouldn't be unrealistic, right? I've read so many books where it's like, they either won't discuss eating takeout at all. Like it doesn't right. thing. Or like, here's what you're going to do when you go to a restaurant. Rule number one, never touch the bread basket. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we went for the bread Take basket. Right there. <laughs> I went for the bread basket. Or the chips at a yeah. Mexican restaurant. Rule number two, yeah, you're a Mexican, no chips, oh. no guac, no salsa. And I'm like, why oh, am I here then? Yeah, what's <laughs> the point? What am I doing? Rule number three, order your entree, cut it in half and ask your server to take half of it away. I mean, who's ever done that? Ever. <laughs> Never. Ever. Rule number four, before you go to the restaurant that you've been waiting so anxiously to go to, eat a whole meal before so you're you full <laughs> so that you can just sit there and stare at like, everybody else. And I'm like, oh, wow. It's like Captain No Fun has checked right. in and truly tried. And we wonder why people then have problems with food. We wonder why people are so afraid and so stressed because we basically tell them that if you eat at this restaurant, you're screwed. You're going to be unhealthy. You're going to be miserable. What are you doing? Or we tell them about all the toxins that are in there. You have seed oils. You're such a horrible human. Come on. I mean, the seed oil thing is, it's amazing right now. Out of control. You say seed oils and like <laughs> everyone comes out of the woodworks and, and attacked you like you insulted their parents. The aspartame was a couple of years ago. You that. put seed oils in your coffee? Oh, and it's just, I, I don't, I do get it. 
I do get it because like, this is how you sell things. It's fear. This is how you get people to buy in. You say something that is so crazy. I talk about this in the book, but like the, the weird thing about our brains, smart as we are, as complex as the human body is, we react and respond to novel and new and we ignore simple and boring. So when we see something new and different, it releases dopamine, which is talking about this feel good hormone that makes you more likely to take action. So when we hear cut out these foods, don't eat these things, these have toxins in it. This is toxic for you. It sounds a little crazy, but it sounds like, well, nothing else has kind of worked. Maybe this works and it's new and it's different. You've never seen it before. So you're more likely to buy in. But when we look at what science establishes as most effective, science is based on two principles, reliability and validity. And the translation of what these things means is those things that are repeated over time and are most likely to deliver a consistent outcome. So the things that are most likely to help you are the things that are most likely to be simple and boring and are the things you're most likely to ignore. And the things that you're most likely to act on are the things that are new and exciting and completely unfounded. And marketers can leverage this so easily. So to me, it's like, even if you're not sure how to make sense of diets, one of the easiest way to go about it is to ask, like, instead of trying to say, like, well, what does each diet say? What about what do they have in common? Right. Because if you looked at every single diet and you were to try and find like what they like, but they tell you not to eat. Right. If I eliminate the foods that like vegans tell you not to eat and I limit the foods that carnivores tell you not to eat and I limit the foods that the gluten free people tell you not to eat and the gluten of the like lactose free and the lectin free and you'd literally be left with like water. Right. And all these diets are not similar. I don't think vegan and carnivore are like apples to apples because a lot of people will like go vegan for ethical reasons and other things along those lines. But the idea is if you try to find what everyone agrees is like okay to like eat, it can get a little confusing. Instead of if you do look for commonalities and types of food, oh, protein and fiber and hydration and sleep. And then you find the food choices in those categories that you're like, oh, I can eat that. Like that is a much more effective way to kind of navigate these waters because there's one thing we know is that a lot of diets work. We've tested it, right? There are so many studies that compared to low fat to low carb or a balanced omnivorous diet to a plant-based diet. And we see that at least from health outcomes, weight loss outcomes, they're all very similar. What determines the success are the ones that people can consistently sustain for the longest period of time. That is the diet hack. What is the diet you can stick on for the longest period, time. And if you know you are going on a first date with the diet and you're trying something out and you're like, I am not feeling this diet, but I'm going to give it a second date. Why? Stop wasting your time with things that you know are short-term fixes, just like you should stop wasting your time with people that are not going to serve you in the long run. The goal here is to find the thing that you can do, but be honest with yourself. Every diet wants to position itself as a lifestyle. Every single one. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Yes. And what do you want your life to look like? Start with that. What do you want your life to look like? That's your lifestyle. Then map the diet that is most clearly to that. And you will much likely to have a fit. Are you going to have to change some things? Yes. Will some of it be difficult? Yes. But if there's enough that you would enjoy, and if there's enough that you are comfortable with, you won't screw it up. You won't struggle and you will succeed. Because you can't screw this up. Can't screw this up. Can't screw this up. Thank you so much, Adam. I know you have to go. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Thank you so much. Definitely. Before you do go really quickly, Adam, 
Can you plug your book? Where can people find your book and find you on social media? You can find my book anywhere where they sell books, preferably legally, but you know, I'm sure people are bootlegging books out there. <laughs> the website is can'tscrewthisup.com. Can'tscrewthisup.com. You can find the book and then you can find me on all social at Born Fitness. Amazing. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much. much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you and thanks for being here.